0: Good morning, everyone. Um, We're going to begin uh, Lesson 3 of our study through this little book, A Call to Prayer, by J.C. Ryle. Only one Sunday left. (coughs) have to figure out what we're doing after that. I had talked about uh, taking you through a study on uh, Chapter 26 of our Confession, and we may jump right into that. Um, I might need a little bit more time to prepare for that, too, so maybe there'll be a study in between this one and that one. Um, I do think we need to look at the doctrine of the church regularly, uh, especially in our day and age. But here we are talking about prayer. I really appreciate this little book uh, by J.C. Ryle. And I appreciate this section. Um, And I think we could talk about why as we go. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll move through our outline. (coughs) Father in Heaven, we do thank You for the gift of prayer that we as your people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and who have been made right with you, O God, adopted as your children, have this way to commune with you. We thank you for your word, which is a light to our feet, for the way in which you speak to us through it. We thank you that you speak to us by your word and spirit and that you have invited us to speak to you in prayer. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be constant in prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're picking up on page 30. That's assuming you're using the same copy that I am. uh, But we're picking up on page 30, halfway down the page. uh, Ryle says, Let me speak a parting word to those who do not pray. There's quite a a bit of book remaining. Uh, This is a long uh, parting word, uh, but a very good one. Let me speak a parting word to those who do not pray. I dare not suppose that all who read these pages are praying people. If you are prayerless, a prayerless person, suffer me to speak to you this day on God's behalf. Allow me to speak to you this day on God's behalf. And then uh, he has a number of things to say to prayerless people. Prayerless reader, I can only warn you, but I do warn you most solemnly. I warn you that you are in a position of fearful danger. I'll read the remainder of this paragraph and then we will highlight some of the individual points that Ryle makes uh, moving forward. If you die in your present state, you are a lost soul. You will only rise again to be eternally miserable. I warn you that of all professing Christians, you are most utterly without excuse. There is not a single good reason that you can show for living without prayer. Those are strong words. I think here Ryle again is ministering uh, in a context where there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians, but they are nominal. Uh, We might say they are lukewarm. Uh, They are cultural Christians, but he's here ministering to them and exhorting them to have authentic faith and to come to God truly and to be people of prayer. And so these strong words, I think, are very helpful. He is warning prayerless people, and I think we are to think of prayerless people in the extreme, those who have an external form of religion, but no heart religion at all. He is warning them, saying, you're in a very dangerous place. And he wishes to awaken them. He wishes to awaken us uh, to a prayerful life. He says at the end of that paragraph, again, there is not a single good reason that you can show for living without prayer. And then he lists... um, Well, he puts puts away a number of excuses here. It is useless to say, you know not how to pray. Prayer is the simplest act in all religion. You might be thinking to yourself, then why did Christ have to teach His disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, saying, pray then like this? Uh, Why did His disciples come to Him saying, teach us to pray? Well, I think both of these things are true. On the one hand, we really don't need to be taught how to pray. On the other hand, we really do need to be taught how to pray. Both of those things are true. Um, How are they both true? Well, prayer is simple. It is a a calling out to God. It it is a crying out to God from the heart. Um, If you know how to speak, you know how to pray. That does not mean that you know how to pray well. And that is why we need instruction in prayer. And that is what the Lord's Prayer gives us, a model for prayer. Uh, So that we can uh, pray well as God's people. Ryle goes on to say, "...it is simply speaking to God. It needs neither learning nor wisdom nor book knowledge to begin it. It needs nothing but heart and will. The weakest infant can cry when he is hungry. The poorest beggar can hold out his hand for alms and does not wait to find fine words. The most ignorant man will find something to say to God if he has only a mind." Uh, And so, prayer is simple... Uh, This excuse will not do. I don't know how to pray. And so Ryle puts that excuse to bed. Uh, Do not tell me this, that you do not know how to pray. It's a simple act. Secondly, it is useless to say you have no convenient place to pray in. I don't have a place. And he goes on to say, any man can find a place private enough if he is disposed. Our Lord prayed on a mountain, Peter on the housetop, Isaac in the field, Nathaniel under the fig tree, Jonah in the whale's belly. Any place may become a closet, an oratory, and Bethel and a Bethel, and be used and, and, uh, and be to us the presence of God. So do not tell me you cannot find a place to pray in. I suppose some might um, make that excuse if they are living in very crowded conditions, which Throughout the history of the world, hasn't been uncommon. <laughs> we live in many respects in luxury, brothers and sisters, compared to the way that others have lived uh, throughout history. So some who are in crowded conditions might say, I can't find a place to pray. But Ryle puts that excuse to bed as well. It is useless to say you have no time. There is plenty of time if men will employ it. That's true about a lot of things, isn't it? Well, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. Well, the truth is, you don't make the time. <laughs> you don't prior- prioritize this thing or that. Time may be short, but time is always long enough for prayer. Daniel had the affairs of a kingdom on his hands, and yet he prayed three times a day. David was ruler over a mighty nation, and yet he says, evening and morning and at noon I, will I pray. When time is really wanted, time can always be found. Number four, and here I am at the top of page 32, It is useless to say you cannot pray till you have faith and a new heart, and that you must sit still and wait for them. I appreciate this point that Ryle makes. We should remember that Ryle was, if I can use the term, Calvinist. He believed very much so in the doctrines of grace And here, perhaps, he is uh, putting away an excuse that some might make based upon the doctrine of predestination and effectual calling and regeneration. Um, Some could say, well, I cannot pray uh, because I do not have faith and a new heart. And so they sit and wait for it, passively. Ryle goes on to say, this is to add sin to sin. It is bad enough to be unconverted and going to hell it is even worse to say, I know it, but will not cry for mercy. This is a kind of argument for which there is no warrant in Scripture. Call ye upon the Lord, saith Isaiah, while he is still near, Isaiah 55, 6. Take with you words and turn unto the Lord, says Hosea, Hosea 14, 1. Repent and pray, says Peter to Simon Magus, Acts eight twenty two. If you want faith in a new heart, go and cry to the Lord for them. The very attempt to pray has often been the quickening of a dead soul. I think this is a very interesting approach that Ryle takes as a minister of the Word. Does he know that no one will call out to the Lord truly unless the Holy Spirit works upon that person's heart and mind? Yes, he knows that. But he also knows that as a minister of the Word of God, his job is to proclaim the Gospel. And it is to implore men and women to cry out to the Lord to call upon his name and so he does it faithfully here. O prayerless reader, he goes on to say, who and what are you that you will not ask anything of God? Have you made a covenant with death and hell? Are you at peace with the worm and the fire? Have you no sins to be pardoned? Have you no fear of eternal torment? Have you no desire after heaven? Oh that you would awake from your present folly. Oh that you would be that you would consider your latter end. Oh, that you would arise and call upon God. Alas, there is a day coming when many shall pray loudly, Lord, Lord, open to us, but all too late. When many shall cry to the rocks to fall on them and to the hills to cover them, who would never cry to God. In all affection I warn you, beware lest this be the end of your soul. Salvation is very near you. Do not lose heaven for want of asking." And so he exhorts men and women to cry, upon, uh, to, to cry out to the Lord and to call upon His name. And I appreciate very much the way that he does this. The next major section of this, um, this portion of Ryle's book, I think, begins near to the top of page 33, where he says, let me speak to those who have real desires for salvation but know not what steps to take or where to begin. And so he is speaking to those who perhaps the Lord is calling them by His Word and by His Spirit. And so there is within them a desire for salvation. And as a minister, Ryle is explaining what steps to take, what to do. Uh, Feeling perhaps that effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. So, where are we to begin Ryle goes on to say that in every journey there must be a first step. There must be a change from sitting still to moving forward. He goes on to give the example of Israel uh, leaving Egypt and heading uh, towards Canaan. Uh, They had to get up and walk and so first steps must be taken. And the first step that we must take if we are to come to the Lord is to call upon the name of the Lord. We must cry out to Him from the heart. In every building the first stone must be laid and the first blow must be struck, he says. The ark was 120 years in building, yet there was a day when Noah laid his axe to the first tree. He cut down to form it. The temple of Solomon was a glorious building, but there, had, there was a day when the first huge stone was laid deep in Mount Moriah. When does the building of the Spirit really begin to appear in a man's heart? It begins so far as we can judge when he first pours out his heart to God. In prayer. If you desire salvation, Ryle says, and want to know what to do, I advise you to go this very day to the Lord Jesus Christ in the first private place you can find and earnestly and heartily entreat Him in prayer to save your soul. So, do you wish to be saved? Cry out to the Lord, call upon His name in prayer. Do it soon, Ryle exhorts. And then there is this interesting section here that I, I really like as well. He gets specific. He tells people what they should say to God in prayer as they call upon His name for salvation. Uh, there's a whole series of, of uh, phrases here. Tell Him, tell Him, tell Him, beseech Him, beseech Him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'll read this section to you. We have the time for it. And I think it's really wonderful. So what should you say to the Lord when you call upon Him? Tell Him that you have heard that he received sinners, and has said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Tell him that you are a poor, vile sinner, and that you come to him on the faith of his own invitation. Tell him you put yourself wholly and earnestly in his hands, that you feel vile and helpless and hopeless in yourself, and except he saves you, you have no hope of being saved at all. Beseech Him to deliver you from the guilt, the power and the consequences of sin. Beseech Him to pardon you and wash you in His own blood. Beseech Him to give you a new heart and plant the Holy Spirit in your soul. Beseech Him to give you grace and faith and will and power to be His disciple and servant from this day forever. O reader, go this very day and tell these things to the Lord Jesus Christ if you really are in earnest about your soul." Tell Him in your own way and your own words. If a doctor came to see you when sick, you could tell him where you felt pain. If your soul feels its disease indeed, you can surely find something to tell Christ. Uh, This is wonderful. Brothers and sisters, um, who will do this? Who will do this? Who will call upon the name of the Lord in this way? Tell me. Among all of the children of men, who will call upon the name of the Lord in this way? Do we know? God's elect. And yet here Ryle is delivering the gospel. The gospel is kind of peppered in all of these statements here. And he is trusting that the Lord will enable his elect to call upon him in this way. But the elect, though we do not know who they are, must be exhorted to turn from their sin and to call upon the name of the Lord. Doubt not His willingness to save you because you are a sinner, Ryle says. It is Christ's office to save sinners. He says Himself, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Isn't that wonderful? We need not hesitate to call upon the name of the Lord because of our sin. Christ came to save sinners. Wait not, He says, because you feel unworthy. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Waiting comes from the devil. Just as you are, go to Christ. The worse you are, the more need you have to apply to Him. You will never mend yourself by staying away. Fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> don't, don't let this hinder you. Well, I can't pray well. I'm speaking to God and He is... He is a great king. How can I bring my stammering tongue before God Almighty? Go to Him uh, through Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, can understand you, He says. Just as a mother understands the first lispings of her infant, so does the blessed Savior understand sinners. He can read a sigh. He can see a moaning. Excuse me. He can see a meaning in a groan. Despair not because you do not get an answer immediately, Ryle goes on to say. While you are speaking, Jesus is listening. If He delays an answer, it is only for wise reason and to try if you are in earnest. And to try, he means here, and to test if you are serious. The answer will surely come. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. And then lastly, by way of conclusion, and my reading of this has gone very quickly, uh, we can discuss some things here in just a moment. Uh, Ryle concludes this section by saying, O reader, if you have any desire to be saved, remember the advice I have given you this day. Act upon it honestly and heartily and you shall be saved. I think this is a wonderful section, a wonderful exhortation to those who are prayerless to come to the Lord and to cry out to Him immediately. Here is the thing that came to my mind. I think those of us who have come to our Reformed convictions are very leery of encouraging people to pray the sinner's prayer. Why are we leery in encouraging people to pray the sinner's prayer? Or that approach to evangelism, where there is a some sort of gospel message that is sent out and then people are simply encouraged to pray the sinner's prayer. Uh, it, it is that um, revivalism, you know, that, that is so common today um, that we are leery of. Why are we leery of it, though? That is the question I am asking. And how might it not contradict what we are here uh, considering from Ryle? Chad? I think there's a There is a danger in creating false converts. I've prayed a prayer and that's all that matters. I'm saved and then the person goes on to live the same way they used to. There is that danger. Any other thoughts come to mind? Why is this approach to evangelism, uh, the encouragement to simply pray a sinner's prayer, filled with some danger maybe? Becky? Yes. It, it, it can oftentimes be emotional. You're just caught up in the moment. Okay. Good. Uh, I, I'm just thinking there's nothing that says like a sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's a specific thing that you have to say to just say. Okay. So the, the sinner's prayer that. isn't found in the Bible, at least not word for word there. But you know what I hear Ryle saying, though, is that we do need to exhort men and women to call out to the Lord, to pray to the Lord. It, it, do you agree with him that really this is the first step in salvation, to call upon the name of the Lord, and to, to, to confess your sin to Him in prayer, to acknowledge your great need, and to ask Him to be your Savior, and to confess Him as Lord? We are. I'll stop there. Do, do you agree that this is the first step? I do. Uh, the very first thing we do, we need to do is to call upon the name of the Lord. So uh, maybe we can just talk about this a little bit more. Why are we leery of this whole approach to evangelism where people are called to simply pray a prayer and, and nothing more? Because salvation is attained through incantation. So just the words themselves don't sing. it's The words are only powerful at their stage. Yeah. We're not saved by an incantation. Uh, the words are only powerful and saving if there is faith behind it. Good. Gina? It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and so... I don't even remember what the sinner's prayer is. Well, I don't know if there, I don't know if there is one particular sinner's prayer. I, I think the prayer itself could be very good. You know, God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need... Christ as Savior, I turn from my sin, I trust in Him alone, um, please wash me. You know, There's no particular sinner's prayer. Maybe there is that I don't know of. Um, but I have noticed that in Reformed circles there's a lot of um, resistance to, to that approach to evangelism and, and maybe even an inappropriate hesitancy to do what Ryle has here done, and that is to encourage sinners to call upon the name of the Lord. It is that, you know, it's that old uh, overreaction, that pendulum swing. You know, we, we're, we're opposed to this approach to evangelism and, and to encouraging people to pray the sinner's prayer. Therefore, we won't encourage people to pray. And that's not right. We have to be careful. I think what Ryle does here is, is good and, and just right. Robin, did you have a thought on this? Mm I think that it gets unloaded on children a lot. I see that a lot. It gets sent out to groups. There isn't necessarily follow-up and discipleship that should happen with a changed heart. Okay, so the sinner's prayer is often used in large group settings and kind of divorced from the context of, of, of broader discipleship. Within the church, yeah. As I was reading Ryle here, I was just I was reflecting upon this. I go, this is good. What he is doing, it is good for him to really urge sinners to to cry out to God and to pray to Him. He's right that this is the first step in becoming a Christian. You know, in, in, in receiving the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, that is all right. But it cannot be divorced from these other things. In fact, the gospel that is preached needs to be the true gospel. It needs to be the true gospel and the full gospel, not some watered down gospel that is a you know seeking to manipulate um, uh, the emotions of people, as you mentioned, Becky. It needs to be the, the full gospel that is preached. And yes, men and women do need to be exhorted to respond to that gospel in faith. They need to be exhorted to cry out to the Lord for salvation. but is that the end of the story? No. Uh, these same people also need to be exhorted to not only um, confess Jesus as Lord in the heart, but to do it publicly too. And how do we do that? Not baptism, and who administers baptism? The church does, with its ministers in the lead. Uh, and so, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're getting a fuller picture. A full gospel is preached. A, a, a call to repentance is given. An exhortation to believe upon Christ and to call out to God in prayer is given. That is all good, but there is more to be said. This faith that is now in the heart by God's grace needs to be expressed and declared publicly through the waters of baptism. Now we are coming into the church, aren't we? And it is in the church that baptism is to be administered in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these are to be taught to observe all that Christ has commanded them. Does prayer... Does the sinner's prayer play a part in this? Yes, it does. But it cannot be divorced from all of the rest of this. Those who cry out to the Lord in prayer need to be joined to the church where they will walk with the Lord from that day forward. They also need to be warned that they must count the cost of following after Jesus. And that is what the sermon will be about this morning. From Luke chapter nine, where Christ clearly warns would-be disciples to count the cost. You know, um, I think this will come out in the sermon, but it came to my mind right now, and so I will say it. Um, yes, it, it is in the sermon. I've I, I've planned to say it. When you look at Christ, he's no salesman. He doesn't he doesn't try to manipulate people into following him. He doesn't. He doesn't just give a sales pitch, emphasizing how good it will be to, to be a disciple of His while concealing the difficulty. That's how salesmen you know, operate uh, sometimes. Uh, the really shady ones do this in an extreme way. You know, they, they, they highlight the, um, the benefits, and then they conceal all of the costs or all of the risks, let's say. and um, Christ does not do that. In His earthly ministry, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ actually fully warned would be disciples, it's going to be hard. You know, you better count the cost before you decide to follow after me. And I think that is oftentimes lacking in gospel proclamations. You know, it's a sales pitch that's given, people are manipulated, and then they end up praying a prayer, but without really understanding what it will cost them to follow after the Lord in this life. Does that make sense? I don't know. All of that came to my mind as I'm listening to Ryle, a good Calvinistic minister, right? Just He's appealing, though, to men and women to turn from their sin into Christ and to call out to the Lord in prayer. And that is good. That is a good thing that needs to be done. Um, Maybe one more question I'll put before you and see what you have to say. Uh, Why is it that ministers need to, to, to make this appeal to the minds and hearts of men and women, to exhort them to call upon the name of the Lord? Why must ministers do that? Melissa? Are you talking about in church? In church, yes, because Lord willing, there will be unconverted people in our midst. It can be mixed. Uh, also, we are to do that out in the world, ministers and members of the church alike. Why, was, why must we appeal to the hearts and minds of men and women... And implore them, can I use a real strong word? Beg them <laughs> to turn from their sin and to put their faith in Christ. Why is that an appropriate thing to do? Because the Bible says to. <laughs> because the Bible says. I could tell you're all like, "Is this a trick question?" The Bible says to. Okay. Why else? You're right. Like that is a good answer, but maybe kind of like underneath all that, why, Becky? We know the end, what will happen to those who do not, and there is eternal judgment that awaits them. And we should have love for even our enemies in this respect. We should pray for their conversion and plead with them to convert. Why else? Any other thoughts come to mind? How would they know? How would they know? Yes, a message has to be delivered. And it, and really the message... Preach the Gospel and, and given the... the um, the stakes, it's right for us to implore men and women to believe the gospel too, right? to, to, to plead with them. Obviously, we have to be careful with this, uh, that we do not become manipulators, but we should earnestly desire that men and women be saved. Diana, did you have something? So they can feel the need themselves, yes. I'll I'll come back to that. That's good. Ryan. In Scripture it's very clear. God never invites anybody to come. He commands them. God does not invite people to come. He commands them to come. Yes. Any other thoughts? I'm... Yes, good. I'm asking this question as a Calvinistic minister. And I'm speaking to a Calvinistic church. A church that subscribes to the Second London Confession of Faith. Is God sovereign over salvation? Will He save His elect? Yes, every one of them. None will be lost. How will He do it? Through means. And that's what I'm wanting to emphasize here. We will do it through the means of the preaching of the Word of God, so we should preach. The preaching of the Word of God must take place from this pulpit. Also, we should proclaim Christ as we leave this place, and we should implore men and women to come uh, to faith and, and, and to repent. It is right for us to do this. It is the means that God has de- determined to use. And we also must recognize that though it is true that God must work inwardly upon the heart and mind of a person in order for them to come to faith, He does call them to Himself through the means of preaching. And these who come will come most willingly. They will come from the heart. They will come knowing what it is that they are doing. It is not as if God just kind of bypasses all of these natural uh, capacities that we have. Um, He will use the preaching of the Word of God by the working of His Holy Spirit to draw sinners to Himself. And so I appreciate this kind of impassioned plea from Ryle to sinners to put away all excuses and and to to call on upon the name of the lord even now any other thoughts about this study about this section that we have just considered jody It's another form of, yeah, another way of saying that there's manipulation. The Scriptures do say that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Scriptures do also warn that there will be many who uh, on the last day say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all sorts of things for you? And yet the Lord will say to these, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Isn't that interesting? So both of those things are true at once. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we should exhort men and women to call upon the name of the Lord. But there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and perform all of these things in your name? And yet he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And he refers to them as workers of of iniquity, workers of lawlessness. So what's the difference? Well, it's that... Those who call upon the name of the Lord sincerely and from the heart will be saved. And these will not be called workers of iniquity in the end. Uh, Though all Christians do still struggle with sin, their life is not characterized by unrepentant sin. And so there are many false professors, false converts, who say that Jesus is Lord with their lips, but they deny Him in the heart and so we must warn against this as well. The last uh, section of this book that we will consider next uh, Sunday, Lord willing, is an exhortation to those who do pray uh, to be more constant in prayer and to grow in prayer. And and I think that lesson, of course, will speak very powerfully to um, those who are in this room. I trust that you are people of prayer that you have called upon the name of the Lord already under the salvation of your souls. And, and we need to grow as people of prayer, brothers and sisters. Don't you agree? All right. Let's pray now and then we will break. Our Father in Heaven, I do ask that you would help us to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ here in this valley. I pray that men and women would be exhorted to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ and to call upon His name in prayer. From this pulpit And from the lips of every member of this congregation, help us to speak often of Christ. Help us to implore men and women to turn from their sin and to trust in Him. And God, we do ask that you would bless us to see many converts, uh, that many would pray the sinner's prayer, and that these would be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and be taught to observe all that you have commanded. We pray that you would have mercy upon this land that you would bless us to see many converts, that your kingdom would advance in this place, that your church would grow, and that it would grow not only in number, but that it would grow in maturity, that it would grow in purity. Lord, grow us truly as you bring true disciples of Christ into our midst. Father, give us also a great concern for the lost around us, that we would pray often for them And that we would speak of Christ to them. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.